Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. And uh, man, we're so honored by everybody that's here with us today. Uh, Everybody that is uh, um, here live and watching us live uh, from their house or from wherever you're watching us. Um, Just letting everybody know that, yeah, there are a number of people that not feeling well today, and, and uh, they're at home where they should be, right, taking care of themselves, and it's the reason why we have online for you to be able um, to watch from wherever you're recovering from, but it's not meant to keep you away forever either, right, and so I myself um, was laid out for like three or four days. Um, I got the flu, Remember what that, what that is, the flu? I had the flu. And just to prove it, I got tested twice, and I'm COVID-free. It's just a flu, just a flu. That's all that it was. But we do know that there are some other families that are dealing and got hit with COVID. My daughter actually got hit pretty hard with COVID, and we were taking care of her, but she's doing fantastic. And just pray for everybody who's at home. Gosh, so, so many people from our team Right, Raylene and uh, gosh, Becca and Pastor Eric and Jessica, a number of people just got hit with it pretty hard. And, um, but the flu is going around right now, you guys, so it is flu season. So don't, don't freak out, but take care of yourselves, right? And if you don't feel good at all, and I mean like at all, if you don't feel good at all, don't come to church. Stay home, right? Rest. We have online, we've got great online church for you guys, and um, we just want to honor um, and, and keep those that are healthy, nice and nice and healthy. And those of you that are sick, we're praying for your recovery and exponential healing over your lives. But we thank God for the ability for us to do everything that we do. If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Luke. Um, book of Luke, we're going to be in the book of Luke today. And uh, last week, um, I started... Um, talking to you about what it means to be restored. And I just want to kind of catch up a little bit because we're talking about our vision, right? Our vision is to reach the lost with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ, uh, to restore um, the broken back into a right relationship with the Father, and to release trained up leaders empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's purpose over their lives. That is our vision, right? Because our mission is, is to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is on mission. We're all on mission doing this together. And so last week I opened up with this sermon entitled When God Restores. And I needed to talk to you a little bit about um, the process of restoration and also talk to you about how the world defines to restore because the world defines restoration differently than God defines restoration. You know, the world, actually Webster's defines it as to return someone or something back to a former condition place or position and we know that in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 the Bible says for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost now I love the message translation in this believe it or not it kind of brings out a little bit more accuracy to the translation from the Greek to the English in this portion of scripture only and it says for the son of man came to find and to restore the lost So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what was lost and who needs to be restored? 
what was lost and who needs to be restored. And we talked a little bit about this last week and I just want to kind of catch it up real quick because one of the things that we focused in on and what we dived into was what, what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of, uh, of, of Eden. And we know that what was broken or what was lost was intimacy with the Father and the, and the ones that needed to be restored were God's creation. And so first and foremost, intimacy with the Father was lost. Now intimacy in any relationship requires the ability and the intentionality of living in pure truth with one another. And we kind of broke down what intimacy is not, right? Intimacy is not transparency. Transparency is what I let you see. I don't let you see everything. I'm just going to be transparent and let you see what I want you to see. So when somebody says, I'm going to be transparent, they're not, they're not saying I'm going to be intimate with you. And we have a bad illustration of or definition of what intimacy for us is. Intimacy for a lot of us today means something that's sexual. And it's so much, it goes so far beyond any, any sexual emotion or reality. But intimacy is not transparency. Transparency is what I let you see. Intimacy is not being vulnerable. Vulnerable is what I let you know. Like I'm going to be vulnerable right now and I'm going to let you know this. But I don't let you know everything. So even when somebody says, I just need to be vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable with you right now. Or I need to become vulnerable with you. Or I'm having a difficulty being vulnerable. Right? It's because you've been hurt with what you've let people hold. Is everybody tracking with me so far? So transparency is what I let you see. So if I let you see this side of me and somebody goes out and gossips, now I can't be transparent with people because people hurt me when I'm transparent. Right? If I'm going to be vulnerable with you, I, I have a hard time being vulnerable because when I, when I let you know, you use against me. So vulnerability is not intimacy. Transparency is not intimacy. And accountability, which I love accountability. I think accountability is fantastic. Right? Accountability is what I let you hold. So that's not intimacy either. Trans accountability is what I let you hold. Like, I want you to hold me to this. Like, I'm going to start eating good over the next three months. I want you to hold me to that. I'm going to start praying every day. I want you to hold me to that. I'm going to start going to church every Sunday. I want you to hold me to that. Right? Accountability is what I let you hold. Everybody tracking with me? Intimacy is I have nothing to hide from you. Into me you see. I have nothing to hide from you. This is what Adam and Eve lost with God in the garden. Why? Because Eve was deceived and, and, and ate and, 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 and partook of disobedience because of Satan's divisiveness. And Adam fell into that and from that, in Genesis, we learn that they were, they were, when, when they disobeyed God, excuse me, when they disobeyed God, what ended up happening? God goes looking for them, and he's like, where are you? And he said, I was naked, and I was afraid, so I hid. So, so Adam, and Eve, Adam and Eve were already naked before God. But there was intimacy because they didn't have anything to hide from God. When they fell into sin, right, the word hid in the Hebrew language is hava, 
And it literally means to be forced into, right? So because of their sin, they were forced into hiding. Watch this. Because of their sin, they were forced in, they forced themselves into darkness. Why? Because they couldn't be in the presence of God in sin. So their sin forced them into hiding, and not just into hiding, but they made leaves for themselves and they covered themselves, which is a distortion of God's original design and intent. And he said, I'll create man in our image. And what man did is it distorted the image of God because it went into hiding because of their sin because they were ashamed and they were afraid. Is everybody tracking with me so far? So what was lost in the garden was intimacy. It wasn't transparency. It wasn't accountability. It wasn't vulnerability. Although all those things are a byproduct of intimacy, Intimacy was lost with the Father, and now they would present themselves in a distorted way in front of the Father because they were afraid, and they were ashamed, and so they hid. And this has been the plight of man, forgive me, from the very beginning. From the very beginning, this has been the plight of man. Because of my sin, I hid. Chava. It forced me into the darkness that I now hide in and I distort the image of God of myself because I don't want to be in intimacy with the Father. Everybody talking with me? So when Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost, what did he come to see? Who did he come to seek and what did he come to restore? He came to seek out your soul and he came to restore intimacy back to the Father. This is why Jesus came. <clears throat> Even though God loves you, listen, God loves you, and God loves your family, and God loves your marriage, and God loves your children, and God loves your parents, and God loves your grandparents, and God loves you, he didn't necessarily came, come to heal you physically. He came to restore you spiritually. Now, being healed physically is a byproduct of being restored spiritually. So the first thing that we have to understand that we lost in the garden is we lost intimacy with the Father. I would no longer be able to walk in the cool of day with the Father in my nakedness because I am now aware of my nakedness because of the sin that I have committed and I cover my shame and my nakedness by running and hiding in darkness. And it could be the darkness of our sin. It could be the darkness of our despair. It could be the darkness of our brokenness. It could be the darkness of you fill in the blank. But God's definition of restore is completely different than the world's definition of restore because the world defines restore to put, back, put something back to its original design when God defines restore, he, he defines it as, as, as making something better than it originally was. That's how God defines re restore. The world says, yeah, I'm going to put you back to your original condition. No, that was bad. God says, I'm going to take your original condition and make it better. Now you're going to be saved. You're going to be born again. You're going to be spirit-filled. You're going to be in an intimate relationship back with me. And so God's definition of restoration is far different than the world's. And so last week, everybody caught up now? What we lost in the garden was intimacy. Say intimacy. We lost intimacy 
with the Father. That's what was lost. God's original design was for God to live amongst us in the intimacy of holiness. That's why Adam and Eve could be naked because there was nothing sinister about them. They had nothing to hide. There was nothing to hide. Right? It wasn't until sin came on the scene that now they had everything to hide. <laughs> so number one, intimacy was lost. And then secondly, this is what I want to, I'm going to stay in this for a while. Some of you have seen some of this. Some of you have heard me preach some of this. But this is the perfect illustration of, of what the world is like symbolically found in this story in Luke chapter 8, verse 43. So you got to forgive me. I had a really, really bad cough for the last five days. And I don't want any of you guys freaking out every time I cough. And it's just causing you just to... Like, oh, oh, there he goes. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, COVID. <laughs> I don't want you guys freaking out. I just, it's not. I have the paperwork to prove it. So I'm doing this for you, okay? But here's what I want you to capture. There's this woman which we all know and we've all heard of because I, I talk a lot about her because she's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of my favorite illustrations. But what I want you to remember about Adam and Eve is that when they messed up in the garden, that they were banished from the garden, right? So they messed up what God's attended design was. They messed it up. God tells Adam, from the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to break the ground. And from the ground you came from, from the ground you'll return. Thorns and thistles you have to fight through. But this is the curse that I put on you. And he's banished from the garden. Eve would now uh, give birth in pain. And every woman from that moment on would birth a child out in pain. And have to go through a menstruation period because of Eve's um, defilement. And so she was cursed with this curse. And so um, men, when you see your wives going through what they're going through, it's not them. It's the curse that's active in their lives. This is true. Okay? I'm trying to teach you something. Biology class right now. So Eve is cursed, right? She's cursed. Adam's cursed. They're banished from the garden, and they would not be allowed to walk in intimacy with God ever again. In fact, man would not be allowed, even though certain men in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings, were allowed to hear God. Um, Moses would say, show me your glory to God. And God would say, I can't show you my glory and you live. Why? Because Moses was a man that had sin. So there's no way you can come into that kind of intimacy with the Father and survive that encounter with God. You would just experience his wrath. Catch this. Old Testament. They were not allowed... Nobody was allowed to be into the, in the presence of God. And even if you were in the presence of God, you, there would be like a diminishing factor of God's glory over you because you couldn't handle the full glory of God and live. So this is why certain people were only allowed to go into the Ark of the Covenant, the Temple of the Most Holy of Holies. And if they weren't right with God, they would fall, die on the spot, and they would have to pull them out by a rope. Because you can't be in the presence of God and have sin on you and live. This is the Old Testament, right? So here's Adam and Eve banished from the garden, intimacy lost, 
right? The curses on Adam. The, you, you know why we, were why we work the way that we're supposed to work, man? It's because Adam wasn't taking care of his woman when he should have been taking care of his woman. And so now we have to work by the sweat of our brow every single day of our lives because of what Adam didn't do in the garden. And women, you go through what you go through every month. <laughs> and you make us go through what you go through every month. <laughs> because of what Eve did. Everybody got that. And then now fast forward to the New Testament. Here's a symbolic story of humanity all wrapped up into the plight of one woman, the woman with the issue of blood. Here's a woman with the issue of blood. And if you know her story, it's a phenomenal story. It breaks me every single time. Because here's a woman who is hemorrhaging. I'm going to put it in today's language. Hemorrhage, like menstruating, hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's spent all her money on doctors. Nobody can heal her. Biblically, based on the Levitical law, she was ceremonially unclean because she was hemorrhaging blood. She could not be out in public. She could not sit anywhere. She could not touch anyone. She could not be in community or in relationship with anyone because she was ceremonially unclean. And if she touched anyone, she would make them ceremonially unclean. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't worship. She couldn't sacrifice. She couldn't have intimacy with a husband. And if he did, he probably would have divorced her. She couldn't have any children because that wouldn't allow her to have any children. I mean, on and on and on and on. She was broke. She was probably suicidal. She probably had anxiety and depression. She was in isolation. She was all on her own. There was no cure for her whatsoever. And then she hears about a man by the name of Jesus, a rabbi, who would lay his hands on the sick and they would recover, who would speak life over death and he would resurrect them, who would cast out devils and demons out of people and they would have to flee. And she hears about this man by the name of Jesus and he's coming into her community. Now, it would be like somebody living on Larch and 147th and Jesus is walking down Hawthorne Boulevard. Let's roll. Let's roll. We've got the miracle healer. We've got the Messiah. He's come into town. Luke chapter 8 verse 43. The Bible says, And a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. There was no cure for her. More than likely, she was going to die very soon. If you do any kind of historical study on lives back then, they, to live up to 30 years of age, 35 years of age, was a big thing. People didn't live very long back then. People lived a lot longer in the early days, closer to the days of Adam and Eve. And then they started to regress. And then God gave us knowledge and wisdom and modern medicine and caused us to be able to live a little bit longer. But this woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. That's what the Bible says. She could find no cure. Nobody can help her. Nobody would be there for her. Nobody would be compassionate with her. Nobody would be empathetic in her plight. And the Bible is very clear. It says, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe, or other translation would say the hem of his garment or the fringe of his robe. And immediately, the bleeding stopped. 
Now this is mankind. This is a beautiful symbolic type and shadow of humanity. Here's Jesus. He's in the vicinity. Here's Jesus. He's in proximity. And this woman who's got this issue, she's probably hurting. We know that she's broke. We know that she's probably dealing with emotional anxieties and maybe even suicidal thoughts. We know that she's not in community. We know that she hasn't been to the temple to worship. We know that she hasn't touched or been around anybody because she would defile them by just being in their presence. In fact, it was so dangerous for her to be outside and around people that if she were to touch somebody, it would be like somebody with COVID. Far worse than that. Like somebody's here with COVID and all of a sudden, I'm going to rub up against Anthony. I'm, I'm, I'm going to rub up against Mona. I got to get to Jesus. I got to rub up against some people. And all of a sudden, Anthony's like, man, you touch me. You defile me, you wicked, wicked woman. <laughs> Anthony would have the right to take her to Hawthorne Boulevard, bury her halfway deep, and get some brick stones and kill her. That's, that was the law back then. I want you to get the picture. Get the picture. She was not allowed out in public. She was not allowed to be around holiness. Because she was defiled in her uncleanliness that came from the curse of the garden. This is the way they viewed her. So she was nothing to them. If she died, nobody cared. This is the, this is the plight of this woman. And this woman decides in one moment of desperate faith to get out of her house, to go find the rabbi, and to break through, push through the crowd and touch the hem of this garment. I don't know who needs to hear this today. But there are people that are sitting in this room and watching us online right now. You're sitting in your house or you might be dealing with some circumstance or some situation and you're sitting and you're feeling like you're all alone in what you're going through. Like nobody cares. You've spent all your resources on trying to figure this out. You've done everything. You've prayed. You've worshipped. You've sanctified yourself. And for whatever reason, you're still in the bad place that you were for the last 10 or 12 years. This is this woman, and she gets out of that place, and she pushes through this crowd. Now, Jesus responds with, who touched me? And the disciples say to him, because the Bible says this. This is coming up behind Jesus. She touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. I didn't touch you. Can I stop here for just a second? Can I just say that you can be in proximity of Jesus and not be touched by Jesus? Can I, can I tell you that you can be in an atmosphere where miracle signs and wonders are happening and nothing's happening for you? Can I tell you that you can go to church and not be the church? Jesus felt something different about this woman's touch. And, and, and what just blows me away, what just racks my brain, 
is I love to imagine these stories. I love to inject myself into the context of this story and, and kind of like be a, an onlooker and just look and see what's going on in this story. And I could just imagine, here's this woman who sees the rabbi and he's surrounded by a bunch of people. If, gosh, I wish I could illustrate this better. Can I, can I get like seven guys to come up here? Seven guys? Come on, seven guys. Real quick, quick, quick. Come on, seven guys. Come up here on the platform. Come up here, all you guys. Dang, you, you jumped the stage. Praise God. I, I want you to think about, Rick, I, I need you to stay over here, bro, because you look like Jesus right now. Okay, you be like the modern day Jesus. You, 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 you come over here. And is this okay? And look, I want you guys to all be over here. Come here, come over, everybody come over here. Now, Rick, I'm going to make you look a little bit more like Jesus, all right? Because Jesus was a rabbi, and he would carry, or he would wear a talit. And a talit was a rabbinical, was a rabbinical prayer shawl. And I want, I want Rick, I want you to get over here, and I, and I want the guys just to kind of get around you, just to kind of get around you. you. You guys get over here, over here, over here, come on, on this side. Like, let, let, let's say all these guys are people in the community that came to get a blessing, right? They came to get a blessing, right? And they're all around Jesus, right? <clears throat> but I'm this jacked up woman. And I, and yeah, I'm having a dysphoria moment right now, but check this out. I'm just jacked up woman right now. <laughs> Easy, I'm, I'm sick, I'm coming out of it. And, and I see Jesus, and I know that he has what I need. I need healing. I need healing. But, but maybe, come here, Joel, because you're like the craziest looking one. <laughs> over here, you guys, come over here. Because everybody, every, everybody wants a piece of Jesus, right? Everybody wants to be blessed by Jesus. And they're all coming around him, but nobody, like Jesus, like who touched me? And all these guys are like, I didn't touch you. We didn't touch you. But this woman, I want you to picture this. This woman who can be put to death for being out in public pushes through fear, pushes through gossip, pushes through what other people would say, and touch the hem of his garment. And in that moment, she gets her healing. But when she gets her healing, Jesus stops and says, who, say it out loud. Who touched me? Right? And, and, and nobody wants to say that they touched Jesus. But this woman couldn't stay hidden. And she stood up and said, I did it. I did it. But listen, she had to push past her fear. Okay, you can go sit down because you, you make me afraid. She had, she had to push past her fear. She had to push past her doubt. She had to push, push past what other people would say. She had to push back what everybody was thinking. And she grabbed a hold of his garment. Thanks, gentlemen. And what most of you don't know is that when she touched the hem of his garment and Jesus says, who touched me? And she couldn't stay hidden anymore. And everybody's like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No, no, no. There are others in proximity of me, but somebody drew something out of me. So you can be in proximity of Jesus and not be touched by Jesus, 
Or you can be in the presence of Jesus with desperate faith and pull something out of him that he wants to give you. Now here's what a lot of us don't get. This fringe, this is, when the Bible says he touched the hem of his garment, it's not like the hem of this shirt or the hem of my Jordache jeans. No, they're not Jordache, they're Levi's. They would have little stones all the way up and down. Anyways, when she reached out and she touches the hem of his garment, she's holding on to a promise of God. What most of you don't know that on the talit, on the, rabbinic, on the rabbis, they would wear the talit, the prayer shawl, and on the end of every fringe, there would be a scripture embroidered, a promise of God. A promise of God for God's people. This is a biblical thing that God would do for the rabbinical priesthood. Now, it, it wouldn't say what this one says, but it would hold on to the promises of God. Now, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, what, was God, and then the Word um, became flesh, John chapter 1. Jesus is the manifestation of the promises and the Word of God, right? So when she's holding on to this, she's holding on to the promises of God. The word that is used in the Greek to translate, it wasn't touch, it was adhere to or hold on to. The proper translation from the Greek to the English isn't touch, it's adhere to, it's hold on to. It's as if she said, if I could just hold on to the promise of God, if I could just hold on to the word of God, if I could hold on to the truth of God over my life, I can be healed. Now I love what this one says, for he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Thank you. You may go in peace, my son. And so this is what this woman holds on to. And it, it's an incredible story because when you look at this story, Jesus says, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. And the word touched in the Greek is haptoma. It literally means to cling to, adhere to, or attach myself to. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. You need to detach yourself from what the world says and attach yourself to what the promises of God has to say over your life. Because this is the miracle. Jesus is walking in proximity of everyone. This woman breaks through the crowd, which can cost her her life, adheres to the promises of God. Jesus can't help but release healing he wants to release healing it's his desire to heal did you hear that and what's so powerful about touching this garment let me read to you what numbers 1537 says it says the lord said to moses speak to the israelites and say to them throughout the generations to come you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with blue 
cord on each tassel and you will have these tassels to look at and you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commandments and will be consecrated to your God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so this talent not only symbolizes the covering of the Lord, but it's even said in Jewish tradition that when God looks down, God sees his covering over our lives. Why? Because the word of God is over our lives. Right? And who is the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. And so I love that this woman with the issue of blood came behind Jesus and touched the tassels of his garment. But she was touching more than a prayer shawl. She was embracing every promise God ever made to her. She was, she was embracing every promise that God made to the children of Israel. She touched the tassel or the hem of his garment. But it was the same as touching the very presence and power of God. I need you to notice, Jesus responds to her desperate faith. And what's so powerful about this story is not that she was healed from her sickness. Because I need to say this to you. God loves you, but he didn't come and die on a cross and resurrect on the third day to give you a better marriage. God did not die and resurrect on the cross to give you children. Although that will happen. God didn't die on the cross and resurrect on the third day to give you a husband. Although that can happen. God didn't die on the cross and resurrect from the, from the grave on the third day to give you a wife. Although that can happen. God didn't die on the cross and resurrect on the third day to give you a church family to belong to. Although that has happened. Come on. God didn't come to heal you externally and let your soul go to hell eternally. Although that has happened. I've seen so many people come to the church and have an emotional encounter with God. Right? He healed me. But did he save you? Because God will heal you to get your attention but he'll restore you to give you eternity with him. Listen, God didn't come to heal you physically. Oh, somebody's going to get mad at me right now. I can, I can already sense the text message going out. Pastor Eddie said that God is, didn't come to heal us. I already, already see, my, my email's dinging up right now. How dare you? Do you hear what I'm saying? Follow me in this. Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead to restore intimacy back to himself. And as a byproduct of that relationship, marriages happen. And as a byproduct of that relationship, children happen. And as a byproduct of that relationship, favor happens, blessing happens, prosperity happens. Come on. But let me also say this. As a byproduct of that relationship, sacrifice happens. Persecution happens. Death happens. Sickness does happen. We can't think that we're covered under the shadows of the Almighty and free from the ability of experiencing death and sickness. No. Right? God gave us the sun and it shines on the good and on the bad. 
It rains on the evil and on the good. Right? But God's primary reason, right? God's primary reason for dying on a cross and resurrecting from the grave was to be in a relationship with you for all eternity. Period. End of story. Anything that happens after that is icing on the cake. I don't serve God because I have a beautiful wife. I don't serve God because I've been married for 30 years. I don't serve God because I get to lead the most amazing church in the South Bay. I don't serve God because of any, of any I serve God because he died and he resurrected on the cross and if that's all he ever did, I'm good. I'm fine with that. But I also understand that he saved me and he rescued me and he filled me with a purpose. He filled you with a purpose. The Bible says that when the woman realized that she could no longer stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. Could you imagine? She's got to testify to everybody. I touched you guys. And I was ceremonially unclean. She had to put herself out there. Like, they can kill me for what I'm about to say. And we have a problem speaking up at our jobs. We have a problem speaking up with our families. We have a problem speaking up with our friends. We have a problem speaking up with the whosoever's of this world. This woman had to speak up and testify. I had an issue with blood that came from the curse. But the blood of Jesus wiped away that curse. And I love, love, love. I can't get past this. The Bible says, the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. So she had to testify. And then she had been immediately been healed. Now watch this. This is what you saw was her healing. Where what you're about to see is her restoration. Because I've said this to you last week and I'll say it again. What good is it for God to heal you and you go to hell healthy? What good is it for your marriage to be healed and you still go to hell? What good is it for you to be set free from addiction and you still go to hell? That's a byproduct of an intimate relationship with the Father. Intimacy is I don't have anything to hide from you. We know that there's nothing that we can hide from the Father. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Whatever you try to hide in the darkness, God will expose and put it out to the light. Why? Because there's nothing that can be hidden from God. And so here we are living not transparent, not vulnerable, not accountable, but in intimacy with the Father. God, I don't have anything to hide from you. This is who I am. Created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. So Lord, restore the right spirit within me. That's what I love about David. He when David said in the book of Psalms, he restores my soul. This is coming from a man that knows what it's like to fail in life. This is coming from a man who knows how to mess up royally in life. But he also knows how to repent and make things right with the Father. But watch the restoration. Put Luke, Luke chapter... 8 verse 47 and 48 up. 
he says this he says when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden she began to tremble and she fell to her knees in front of him the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed so here's where she she testifies of her healing here's what I want you to grasp I need you to capture this this morning because we're talking about God's definition of restoration this isn't restoration this is putting her back to the original condition of her humanity go to the next verse what's that word up there what's that word that's an intimate word it's jacking me up inside right now in the previous verse you saw her get healed the way or restored the way the world defines it she was healed but here when he says daughter that's when she was restored because her restoration would bring her back not back to her original condition but would make her better than she was before she wasn't a daughter before she was lost in her sin she was lost in her transgression she was lost as a human being that has failed in life the wages of sin are death but the gift of God are eternal life in who in Christ Jesus when Jesus says daughter he said to her your faith has made you well go in peace she can go in peace because now she has received an inheritance she's no longer a slave to sin she's a part of the family of God she has been restored come on there's restoration yes you'll probably get to marry yes you'll probably get to have children yes you'll probably be able to live out her life and the peace that God gave her but the most powerful thing she ever got from Jesus was restoration back to himself daughter go in peace daughter you have an inheritance daughter you belong to me daughter you're going to spend eternity with me daughter you're a part of my family some of you need to grasp this right now the most powerful thing that you'll ever receive from Jesus is a restored relationship back to the Father why do you think our vision statement is reach restore release you can't have discipleship without intimacy you can't have favor on your life without intimacy with the father you can't have fruit without the father you can't serve Jesus without the father you can come to church and change your moral compass and start doing good things and feel like your life's getting better but until you've been restored that's when the power of God is released and Jesus did that through the cross you see God will heal you to get your attention but God will restore you to bring you into his family and I believe that that's what restoration life is all about is being restored into a right relationship with the father and that happens through intimacy 
The last thing that needs to be restored, if, if you'll give me a couple more minutes, is the call of God. We say the purpose of God over our lives. One of my favorite apostles is Peter. Because, because Paul, he's brutal. Like, Paul's like legit. But I don't align, like I can't see like, like I don't have a lot in common with Paul. But Peter, I got a lot in common with. <laughs> Come on. Peter likes to fish. I like to fish. <laughs> when Jesus found Peter, he was fishing. He called him to drop his nets and come and follow him. And he would make him a fisher of men. Peter was one of those disciples that got himself into a lot of trouble. Peter was one of those guys that had big mouth moments. Come on, anybody here have a big mouth moment in your life? Man, I should have never said that. Man, I could have said that better. Right? Big mouth moment. Insert foot into mouth moment. Peter was that guy. Right? Peter was still like raw. Like Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. They came to arrest him. Peter took out that blade. Phew, cuts off a centurion's ear. Jesus is like, come on, Pete. Puts it back on. <laughs> testing, one, two, testing. Heals him. And Peter's like, I got you, Jesus. Got you. I'm down for you. Peter's like a lot. We can relate to Peter. Right? Big mouth moments, cutting people. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't cut people with the but You cut them with what you say about them. A lot of us are like Peter. I remember, I remember in a moment when, when Jesus was teaching Peter and, 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 and Jesus was telling Peter, hey, I've got to die. I gotta go, I, I gotta be put to death, but I'm gonna resurrect. And Peter was like, Not so, God. Never, I won't ever let that happen. <laughs> the butterfly crew. And Jesus is like, Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter cared more about what he wanted from Jesus than what Jesus wanted to do for Peter. And Peter's like, no, nah, it's not going to happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him. So he had, a, he had a rebuke moment there with Jesus. I think we could all testify that we've all had those moments with Jesus. Where we get rebuked by Jesus. Like, you're, you're wrong for doing that. You're wrong for saying that. You're wrong for acting like that. Stop it. You're acting like the devil. Stop acting like the devil. I think we've all had those moments. We're like Peter. And then, and then this one time... Jesus is talking to the disciples and Peter's like, I'll never deny you. And he's like, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And he's like, nah, not happening. Ride or die. And sure enough, when Jesus is getting persecuted, Peter denies Jesus. And we can all find ourselves in that. Right? Because you're like, yeah, I'll never deny Jesus. Right? And then that girl calls you. 
I'll never deny Jesus. Then that guy invites you out. Come on. That bad relationship that God told you to leave a long time ago rears its ugly head. And you're like, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And he's like, but baby, I love you. And you hear, we've all denied Jesus. I think, I think if we're just being honest, we've all failed Jesus in one way or another. So this is why we can relate to Peter. In John chapter 21, after his resurrection, Jesus goes looking for Peter. This is what I love about Jesus. Peter messed up. He denies Jesus at the most crucial time. Like Jesus really needed Peter in this moment. And it was in this moment that Jesus looked up and said, I don't know him. I don't know that man. And what Jesus prophesied came to pass. And after his resurrection, Jesus is basically making a little fire because he knows who he's going to run into. Peter shows up. He says, go throw the net on the other side. And they bring in all kinds of fish. The Bible says in John chapter 21, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? The Lord, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you and feed my lambs. Jesus told them, um, then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you, you know that I love you. To take care of my sheep. So feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Then Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Then Jesus asked the question for the third time, which always kind of gets me. Like, why would you be hurt? Like, you denied him. Why are you the one with all the hurt? You know, you know what I see in between the lines here? Is that sometimes what people end up doing is that they make the hurt about them and not about Jesus. Like, let's take the attention off of the wrong that I did and let's put the attention on how hurt I am. But never want to own the fact that you failed. third time he asked Simon son of Jonah do you love me Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question the third time and he said Lord you know everything you know that I love you Jesus said then feed my sheep so feed my lambs the little ones take care of my sheep and then feed my sheep what I love about Jesus is that he tenderly restores the apostle Peter back to an apostle Peter had left the ministry Peter was done with the call of God over his life. He rejected Jesus at the most crucial time of his life. How can God ever restore him? And yet, here we see the Father. And he goes looking for the one. And he takes Peter. And he restores him back to himself. And then he restores his purpose over his life. This is a beautiful picture for all the Christians that have ever messed up in life. All the leaders, pastors, missionaries, deacons, servant leaders, volunteers, everyone who's ever messed up being a Christian, who said, God can't use me anymore, I failed him. Jesus wants you to know that you're not too far gone, that he can't restore you back to himself and back to the purpose that he called you to originally. 
The Bible says that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. He's calling you. And here's what I love. In Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens in the upper room. The 120 are there. The Holy Spirit fills that room with fire. Tongues start to manifest. Different languages are being spoken. 14 different dialects outside are hearing God being praised in their own language. And all these other people are thinking, they got to be drunk. There's something wrong with them. And who steps out of the crowd with boldness? Peter, the failure. Peter, the one that failed miserably. Peter, that said he would never deny Christ, and he does. But Peter, the one that God restores. Peter, the one that God anoints. Peter, the one that God pours out his spirit on, is the one that God uses to birth the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, I'm going to jump to verse 38. He says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you. <laughs> the promise is to you and your children. Come on. And to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God would call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them, and the church was birthed. God used somebody that denied Jesus three times to birth the most powerful movement on planet earth today. And if God could use him, God can surely lose, use any of you. If God can use me, God can use you. If God can use you, he can use me.